So our series on Thursday nights have been designed for us to understand God's command to live lives of holiness and what that means in terms of practical living, because that's one of those words that kind of seems vague. It seems like it's just about things that are out there. We don't really understand what holiness is because we're not used to it. All we know is sinfulness and, and brokenness. But you remember in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, that Jesus says, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And sometimes we can even recognize that those verses are true, but we don't always connect the dots with how we're actually living day to day. And so if you guys remember, we made that list a couple weeks ago of all the things that we do during a given day. That's your lifestyle. And so are we living in holiness in terms of our lifestyle? And so we're continuing this series. The first week we looked at our thoughts because everything that you do stems from your heart, which is connected to your mind. And so what are your, what are your thoughts like? If we were to plug your, your brain into the, the TV and show all of your thoughts over the last, what, 20 hours, what would they be like? And that would be a, a horrific thought for any one of us. Except the reality is, is that Jesus Christ sees everything that you think even more clearly than you remember them. And so what are our thoughts life like? And then we started looking at our lifestyle, and that's why we're in Psalm chapter 119. And the reason we're taking our time going through this section is because there is a lot here for us to consider. So if you remember that our passage starts with a question. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? And that can actually be translated as how can a youth keep their path holy? So as you're walking through life, is there a way that you can be pure? So I want you to consider just as we start here tonight, just in your own thinking, you don't have to say this out loud, but how would you answer that question? How can a young person keep their way Pure. How would you answer that? Because I want you to notice something. Notice that the question in the passage is how can you keep yourself pure? It does not say how can you make yourself pure because you can't. And so if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you are in sin, you are impure. And there's nothing that you can do about that. Only salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ gives you a new heart, a new mind, a cleansed conscience. And the Bible says that you can be a new creation. And so I'm talking to believers with this question tonight. If you've come to Christ for salvation, how can you keep yourself pure? And God gives us an answer with 10 different things to consider. We looked at four of them last week. You're kind of remembering back to uh, last Thursday, we keep God's standard, which means there's a standard outside of myself that I'm compared to, so I need to make sure that I'm living according to what God says, not by my own standard. We seek God, it says in verse 10. We pray, and then we have to know what the Bible says. We have to be familiar with what the Scriptures say. And so we're going to look at three more tonight. And what I want to do is, is slightly different than we did last week. I want to take these concepts, and we'll look at them briefly in our passage in Psalm 119, and then we're going to look at someone in the Bible that exemplified that particular spiritual discipline. 
So I think it's important to see these things with flesh on, so to speak. How is somebody in their life actually living that out? So we're going to be in Psalm 119. You need to kind of keep a finger there. And then we'll turn to these other passages, but we're going to come back to our main passage here. So let's read it together just to put it in front of our thinking. Verses 9 through 16. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. So we're going to look at three more spiritual disciplines tonight. We're going to look at worship, witness, and then rejoicing. If you are a follower of Christ, these three spiritual disciplines are essential for you to walk in a life of holiness. So let's consider worship. You look at verse 12, at the beginning of the verse, the psalmist says, blessed are you, O Lord. It's kind of interesting. It's almost like the, the author of this passage stops in the middle and he can't help himself. He's He's wanting to worship God, and so he, he directs it to God personally. It's, it's in the second person. You, you, Lord, are blessed. And the word in the Hebrew for blessed means to, to bend down or to kneel. So we all have that, that imagery of the, the physical posture of what it means to worship. And so the word worship, at least in the English, originally came from the term worth-ship, that you are telling somebody how worthy they are. So that's what it really means to worship, is that you're telling God, I recognize that you are holy, and I want to be the same. I recognize that you are powerful and majestic, that you are merciful, you are wrathful, you're just. For those of you who are with us on Sunday mornings, we're going through all of those attributes of, of who God is, and you're bowing before God, either physically or spiritually, in your heart and your mind, to tell Him, I know this is what you're like, and I recognize that. So this is important. You need to make sure that you are engaged in biblical worship. And he's talking about God Himself. In fact, we need to be people who are worshipers even when the cost is high. And I have a feeling, an educated guess, that the culture that we're in currently is shifting towards a higher cost to be a follower of Christ than when I was your age. And you need to be prepared for that. In fact, I've seen people in life walk away from everything about the Bible and the gospel when life is good, let alone when life gets difficult. You guys have to realize that you are worshiping all day long. It's just a matter of who or what. And so what kind of worship have you been involved in today? So I want you to keep a, a finger here in Psalm chapter 119, and let's turn over to 
Daniel chapter 6. Daniel 6. Some of you are probably familiar with this particular passage, and maybe it's, it's been a little while since you've visited this section of Scripture. Maybe you remember this from uh, being younger, if, if you were blessed to have grown up in the church. Um, I certainly did not enjoy that blessing, and so I, as I, I got saved when I was 15, but didn't get involved with church till I was about 17. And so uh, I, I, I remind you guys all the time that, especially those of you who are seniors, it's like, I know what it's like to only have one year, and so make the most of it, because this is a unique time in life. And so think back to kind of your, your Old Testament knowledge of, of Daniel and what happens to him in this particular book. Just to give you a little bit of historical context, Daniel was a young man, and the Babylonians had come in and captured the Israelites, and they exiled them out of their country to live in Babylon, and that was Daniel. And that's one of those things, too, when you kind of get a little bit used to uh, a Bible story, that it, it seems kind of mundane. But I want you guys to think about how horrific that would be. Someone about your age to be captured from your family, to be taken from your home forcefully, to go live into a, another country, another culture, and be forced to live according to their ways, how frightening that would be. Like I said before, I've seen people who, when they kind of get out of high school, that they just walk away from Christ. They don't lose their salvation because the Bible says that you can't lose your salvation. When life is good, people walk away from the truth. Daniel was completely the opposite. He was in a circumstance that was so incomprehensible to us. We live a life that's pretty comfortable. And he got taken away from all of that at, at a very young age. And yet he did not compromise his faith in the one true God. He was still a worshiper. So he's in captivity. He's, he's gained a reputation at this point of being somebody who is a man of integrity and a, and a man of righteousness. And now he's starting to get enemies. People are looking at Daniel, and they, they don't like how he's living. You guys have to realize that the cost of being a follower of Christ will increase for you the more dedicated you are to living according to what the Bible says because it's going to continually make you stand apart from how the world lives, and they hate it when their deeds of darkness are exposed by light. And so the nature of spiritual growth in your life is going to cause a higher price to be paid. But with Daniel, he didn't compromise, regardless of the circumstances that he was in. I want to read you a, a section of the the text here. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. It says, It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned 
to anoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. You guys have to remember too that these guys are not dumb. They know that Daniel's a foreigner. He's starting to set himself apart as a, a, a someone who is distinguished in service to the king, and they're looking for anything to discredit him. But they can't find anything. I mean, how much, if somebody was really coming after you, how much digging would it take for them to turn up things in your life where they could discredit you? And you're talking about powerful men in the country. This happens all the time in our political system, right? Even in a secular level, somebody wants to take a, an office or a position, and what does the other side do? They try to find anything they can to destroy him. That's what they're doing to him. And they're frustrated because they can't find anything that is worthy of reproach. It's an amazing testimony of how he's living his life. So what do they do? Verse 5, it says, Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. What are they attacking? What are they going after? His belief in the word, right? His faith in Yahweh. They're like, that's the only way that we're going to find something because what he believes about Yahweh is in conflict with what our country teaches and what our king teaches. So that's what we're going to attack. So verse 6, Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors, have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any God or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Did everybody come together and consult to make that decision? Who did they not consult with? Daniel. So they're lying. They're setting up king. If you, if you know the, uh, the context here, Darius actually has a high regard for Daniel. And so he's being set up as well. Verse 6, Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which, cannot, which may not be revoked. Therefore, Darius signed the document. That is the injunction. Now listen to this. Verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. There's a couple things that I think are fascinating here. One is, it's not like Daniel saw the injunction 
and then just decided to pray publicly. Like he's just being rebellious for the sake of under the guise of doing something spiritual. The text tells us that he was already doing this. This was an established pattern in his life. So now he has to make a decision. Am I going to go private? Am I going to keep the windows closed? Am I going to change my, my spiritual disciplines? You guys have to realize Daniel's very intelligent. He knows that this law means execution. Put yourself in Daniel's place. He does not know the end of the story like you know it. He does not know what God is going to do. So he opens up his windows. He gets on his knees and he worships. Just like he'd done previously. It's an amazing testimony. You guys know the the end of the story, that God did shut the mouths of the lions and he preserved Daniel. He was living a life of purity. His worship was directly tied to his life of purity. You guys were worshipers all day today. Who were you worshiping? What type of worship were you engaged in? And to be real pointed, for those of you who claim to be followers of Christ, did you think about him today? Is there a relationship with him throughout your days? Do you, do you think about him weaving in and out of the responsibilities of your life and school and sports and friends? And does, does the Lord come to your mind? Does his word come before your thinking? It should be so part of your life and so hardwired with who you are that it's just... It's your lifestyle. And the cost is going to come. At some point, being a follower of Christ is going to cost you something, and you have to make a decision to whether you're going to continue to worship or you're going to compromise. So that's the first thing. Turn back to Psalm 119. We see worship. Blessed are you, O Lord. I need to give and ascribe worth to God because without my worship, I cannot live a life of holiness. You guys are hardwired to be worshipers. Every single person that's alive, that's true. But sin causes us to focus on things that are not God. And we want to live lives of, of holiness. And the second piece here in verse 13 is our witness. He says, With my lips... I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. If you guys kind of think back to last Thursday, if you, or if you look up to verse 11 as a reminder, the psalmist says, your word I have treasured where? Verse 11. Where does he treasure it? In my heart, so that, what's the purpose? That I may not sin against you. You guys realize that the psalmist is, is modeling something for us here. He has the Word of God so internalized that he can't keep from talking about it out loud. And he says, with my lips I have told of all of your ordinances. I can't stop talking about Christ. That's part of purity. It's part of walking in holiness is that, do you talk about the things of Christ with other believers? Do you look for opportunities to tell people about the gospel? 
And sometimes when the opportunity isn't there, do you pray, God, give me an opportunity with this person because I want to talk about my Savior. And so we need to be a witness. There is no such thing as being a secret follower of Christ. If you have a group of people that you've been around for any amount of time and they do not know that you're a follower of Christ, there is something seriously wrong in your walk. How could you keep that silent? It takes a lot of work to cover up an entire life being transformed. So I want you guys to turn to Acts chapter 7. We're going to see somebody else that paid a price. This time for being a witness. Acts chapter 7. Obviously, apart from Christ, we tend to think of all the heavy hitters in the New Testament, right? The apostles. Paul, for example, writing 13 letters in the, in the New Testament. But I want you guys to realize that the, the person that we're going to look at here in Acts chapter 7 was the shoulders on which Paul stood on to become what he was. Like this man was such a spiritual giant that it was the reason that Paul came to salvation in Christ and while he was, why he was so successful in his ministry. His name is Stephen. Listen to this, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose against the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Just a quick historical context. The church is growing. Jews are being saved. Gentiles are being saved. And the integration of those two radically different cultures are causing pains of growth in the church. So they're looking as a leadership to resolve that. Verse 2, they, the 12 summon, that's the... Um, that's the, the, the apostles, they summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So Stephen's been chosen here in verse 5. So look at verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power. Can you imagine that as a description of your spiritual life? Full of grace and power. This is an amazing man. Stephen was performing great wonders and signs among the people, but some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. And they put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, 
will destroy this place and after the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, on Stephen, all who were sitting in the council saw his fake face like the face of an angel. All right. Now Stephen's on trial. We won't go through it, but if you read Acts chapter 7, Stephen stands before these people and he gives this incredible, biblically rich defense of the gospel. He knows his scripture to the point where they are so angry with what he is saying. I want you guys to look down to uh, verse 51. This is the end of his testimony. He turns to his accusers, verse 51, and he says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. But you who received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you did not keep it. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Daniel was spared. Stephen was not. I'm sure he saw the escalation of what was happening during their conversations, and he didn't stop his witness. He kept telling them about the glories of Christ. And even when they're, they're crushing his body with stones out of unrighteous anger, what does he say? He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do you know why he said that? Where else have we heard that? Yeah, he knew his, his Lord had said that on the cross. He had such compassion for these people who were enemies he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then it says, amazingly, it says he fell asleep. Do you know why the Bible says that he fell asleep? It doesn't say he died, which he did physically. But it describes it as sleep because for the believer, death is temporary. And he knew that. 
So in order to live a life of purity, he did not stop telling others about the gospel of Christ. Psalm 119 verse 13, it tells us that we, we want to tell of all the ordinances of his mouth. We want to tell other people what God has said. Do you guys realize that what you hold in your hand, if you have a Bible with you tonight, that this is what God has said? I mean, when you get a hold of that truth, that this, this is the word of God that he has put in the scriptures and he has given it to his people. It's like, how, how would you not want to tell people what's in this book? You're going to do it different than I do it. Your personality is different. Your relationships with people are different. But how can you not tell people what's in the Bible when you have an opportunity? Now, the Bible's not the only thing we talk about, obviously. But is the Bible ever something that you talk about? Does it ever come up in conversations with the lost? Do you ever have the boldness to take a conversation with grace and mercy and wisdom and at the right time steer it toward things of spiritual truth? Because if you're not doing that, then you can't live a life of holiness. And it should be something that is so in you. Your word I have treasured in my mouth so that I may not sin against you. And I need to tell others about this. There are people that I have had conversations with that refuse to discuss. I get that. That's hard. It's like, I'm going to pray that God sends other people. So I don't have the opportunity right now to, to have that conversation. But I'm not indispensable. I know that God can send others and tell them about Christ. Do you guys have that desire for the lost? To be a witness? How is your worship? How's your witness? They're directly tied into living a life of holiness. Turn back to Psalm 119. Number three, how can a youth keep their lifestyle pure? We have to be those who rejoice. Look at verse 14. It says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. You might be thinking, I'm broke. It's okay. Whatever you have is rejoicing in what God has said. Is it, is it more important than whatever riches you have? Does anybody know who the richest person on the planet is? Elon Musk, you know how much he's worth? $230.4 billion. I have no idea where he's at spiritually, but that would be a lot of rejoicing, would it? This is not facetious. This is not an exaggeration. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Why? Because all of this stuff, you guys, in the world is going to burn. None of this is going to last. But for the follower of Christ, we know that God's word is always going to last. And we have been born again by his living word. 1 Peter chapter 
1 and 2. So this is more important than anything. I rejoice over this being true because I know the character of who God is. And some of you, when you get older, are going to be very rich by God's provision, by His providence. It's like, is your rejoicing going to keep increasing and say, no matter how much I own, no matter how much I possess, this is so much more important. Psalm chapter 19 says that this word is, is better than much fine gold. And that passage has a threefold exponential comparison. This word is better than gold. It's better than the finest gold, and it's better than much of the finest gold. And that is, that's, that's accurate. It's not an exaggeration. So I want you guys to turn to Luke chapter 19. I want you to see somebody who rejoiced in God's truth more than riches. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus is literally walking to Jerusalem to be crucified. Now, as a point of comparison, at a much smaller, insignificant level, have you ever had a circumstance in your life that you knew was coming that was stressful for you? And you're not looking forward to it? Starts to kind of like take over your world. It's all you can think about. Maybe you can't even function normally because it's, it's clouding your thoughts. Jesus is walking to be crucified for sin that he didn't commit. And worse than that, he's about to take on the wrath of his father, which is way worse than anything physical that he would experience. And yet, what does he do? He stops in Jericho because he wants to talk to a man who is lost in his sin. It's unbelievable grace and compassion. It shows you that Jesus was in such full command of everything in his life that he was willing to do the will of the Father even though he knew what was coming shortly. Look at verse 1. It says, He entered Jericho, was passing through, that's Jesus, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek 
and to save that which was lost. You're looking at a man whose life was ruled by money. That's all he cared about. And he was good at collecting it. And in one conversation with Christ, his life is radically changed. He comes down out of the tree. He starts to have this conversation with Christ. The crowd, the, the, the self-righteous Jewish people hated him because of how he treated them in the past. And they hated Christ, saying he's spending time with somebody who's a sinner. And they're starting to grumble at him. And he doesn't even care what the crowds are saying at this point. And he makes this declaration. He says, how can I, how can I express the, the love that I have for this man who just forgave me of my sin? He says, all of my money, I'm going to divide it in half, and half of it goes to the poor. Half of his wealth, gone. And with the other half, if there's anybody that I've cheated out of money, I'm going to pay them back four times what I took from them. Because you're looking at a man who doesn't care about money anymore. He came to the point where he was rejoicing in the the word of God more than his riches. It's a life that's changed. If you claim to know Christ, is your life different because of Christ? Has there been a transformation? Is there fruit of being a new creature? So there's a couple things I want you to consider tonight. Number one, do you guys have a desire to live holy lives? If the desire isn't there, nothing that Psalm 119 says matters at all. If you don't desire it, if you still want to cling to your sinful lifestyle and think that that's going to bring you happiness, which it won't, then none of this is going to matter to you. But if you have a desire, then you resonate with the question at the beginning of Psalm 119, Lord, how can a young person keep their way pure? I want you guys to understand something. The Bible is not a self-help book. It's not a a magic pill that you take. I am not giving you 10 things to think about so that you have a checklist of saying, as long as I do these things, then God will be happy with me. If you think that's what we're talking about, you've missed the entire point. This is the reflection of a heart that wants to give God something that he will be pleased with. You guys ever see young children draw something? create something, no matter how ugly or terrible it is, what do they want to do? Mom, look. Look what I did, right? That's relational. It's desire to share something because you're excited about it. I realize I still do that as a 48-year-old man. I finished those shirts on the wall. What's the first thing I did? I took a picture and I sent it to my wife. Look, look what I did. The difference is, it's not a checklist of I want God to be pleased with me because you can't earn God's love. The heart that's been changed says, God, what do I need to do so that I can can tell you that I love you? That's what the psalmist is telling you. If you have a desire to please Christ, then you'll start to think about these things. This is what the Word says. This is what I want to do. 
And it's going to take time to change. Because we're so used to unholiness that we, we're not really bothered by it, usually. The Bible tells us how to live. And our desires should be, Lord, I want to keep your commandments. And I can't do it without Christ. So put the Lord Jesus Christ in front of you. Be in the Word. And say, I need you to change me so that I can do what you've commanded me to do. And then lastly, guys, just remember, it's everything that you do. Coram Deo is before the face of God. He sees everything that you do. Is He pleased with your life? The areas where we have to admit that are not pleasing to Him, ask for help and ask the Lord to change you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the, the truth that you have given us in a book that you have preserved and protected for your people. Lord, I would ask tonight that you would help us. Help us, Father, to be those who worship regardless of the cost. Help us to have opportunities to be a witness, to tell others how much we love what your son has done for us and how he's changed us. And help us to rejoice in your testimonies more than in all riches. Lord, we are so grateful for Jesus. Help us to know how to live for him, how to worship him in a way that he deserves. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.